You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. We shouldn't, as Democrats, be empowering the Republicans. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. UK and New York have their deadliest day yet. Meanwhile, President Trump ripping the World Health Organization, the latest on all of the political geopolitics as it relates to this. We're also going to check in with a reporter from The Guardian uh, to get an update on Boris Johnson as well. Congressman Gregory Meeks is going to join us, and we are officially on standby for the president's daily coronavirus task force briefing. The big story continues to be, well, hopefully we're nearing the peak of COVID-19, or that some cities are going to be nearing the peak of COVID-19. Reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, the UK and New York State reported their worst daily death tolls since the pandemic began, even as several European nations said they plan to ease the lockdowns. Joining us on the telephone line, the newsmaker telephone line, Congressman Gregory Meeks, a Democrat from New York. Congressman, first of all, we are all thinking of your district, which we know uh, has been rocked by this. And give us an update. Where do things stand in in New York's 5th Congressional District? Well, number one, thank you for your concerns and your prayers. We definitely need them. Uh, the numbers are continuing to rise. Hospitals, the banks, the beds are full. Uh, running out of space. Uh, you know, we need PPEs, the personal uh, protection equipment uh, at all levels for our first responders, for our hospitals, uh, individuals we need. Some hospitals have run out of even the uh, coronavirus tests that we need equipped, so we're working with them. Uh, and unfortunately, people are dying. Uh, so, uh, but we're, you know, we're going to fight through this. Uh, the good side of it is that now in Manhattan, the Javits Center is open, and the ship it will. So, in the in the ship that uh, just sent in, they will be able to take COVID nineteen uh, patients. So that would help, uh, hopefully, to open up some beds at some of the local hospitals. Uh, have more uh, PPE equipment. Hopefully, FEMA will get get them in. Uh, so we're hoping for the you know for the best. But this is where it's being predicted to be the peak week. So uh, yeah. and then hopefully we can get over the hump. 
Congressman Gregory Meeks is on the line. He's a Democrat from New York. Of course, he's a prominent member on the Financial Services Committee as well as the Foreign Affairs Committee. But sticking with New York and PPE for just one second, earlier today, Congressman, I spoke with two senior administration officials, and I asked them on a background call with just a handful of other reporters about how they plan to deliver PPE to their to, to, to districts like yours. And, Congressman, one of the things that they told me is that they've been flying in from around the world PPE equipment. Are you satisfied with the state response, and are you satisfied with the federal response? And if not, what do you want to see happen more of? Well, we need more. It seems as though what is happening is there's a competition. So the uh, goods, uh, the PPE equipment that is being purchased by um, uh, the FEMA and others uh, is for – the nation, uh, and there's no real system to lock money, lock uh, the equipment to places of need. So the state has gone out on its own and tried to acquire uh, some PPEs, but the states that are competing with other states in the country who's looking for the same uh, kind of equipment, uh, and uh, so it becomes a competitive scenario. And then you've got some individuals who are you know, uh, escalating the price of the product, but lives on the line should not be the case. Who's who? Uh, who who who's 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 jacking up the prices? Well, these are some of the private individuals that's trying to sell it to FEMA and sell it to um, uh, uh, hospitals, state governments, etc. So we we are trying to uh, make sure that. Uh, that's uh, despicable. That is despicable is, is. that people – Congressman Gregory Meeks is on the line. That is deplorable. That is disgusting that people in this time in need – and we've heard, unfortunately, a couple of incidents like this all around the country, people trying to make a buck as the country shut down from the pandemic. What a shame. That's disgusting. But you know what? There's a lot more good going on and good acts of kindness that have gone on. Then, then, then there's deplorable people that are doing that. That's disgusting. I, I don't even. You should name them, Congressman, and feel free to do it on this well, program. Well, I'd, I'd rather talk about, as you said, the hundreds of and thousands of volunteers that have come into yeah. the city, the people, the first responders, whether they be doctors, nurses, those that are sterilizing hospitals, those that show up at supermarkets, the police officers, the fire department. I mean, these folks that are essential that still come to work every day. Uh, then you have individuals from around the country who come in to volunteer here. Uh, that's who we are as Americans. And so uh, when it's all said and done, that's who I'd rather spend my time in reflecting on because we've got to make sure the good uh, outweighs the bad. Well, let me let me ask you this, because, you know, one of the prominent conversations that we've been having on this program uh, as it relates to economic stimulus is where things go from here in the next round of stimulus spending. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, I'm sure you know this, you were probably in on the meeting where she said that she wants a a trillion dollars, or the president has said about a trillion dollars in the next round of economic stimulus. You're on the Financial Services Committee, Congressman. What would you like to see in this next round of economic stimulus? Well, it's talking about recovery. So we've got to make sure that uh, we go big to help uh, further small businesses uh, go to longer and unemployment benefits and provide additional sources to process UI claims and uh, to give families additional direct payment. Uh, I think we also, you know, clearly got to provide for the desperately needed resources for hospitals, for community health centers, for health systems and health workers on the front lines of this crisis, 
uh, you know, I don't think that we can overall succeed in defeating this, this virus unless we also make sure that we strongly supporting state and local governments with significantly more resources. Uh, so all of those things are necessary. Then, you know, infrastructure, which has been shown, laid the bear here. That needs to be in the fourth stimulus package. So we've got a lot of work to do to recover uh, once we uh, move on uh, and get our hands around this virus. And, I, you know, sometime in May or June, I think, is when we'll be looking at this package. May or June. Wow. Okay. And and do you think that there's any chance that, that we could reopen parts of the country before then? I don't. I think that we've got to go by the scientists and the data. Uh, and that'll make the determination of how we go forward. And, yeah. you know, because you go across the line. So I don't want to make any prediction there, but I'm going to listen to the scientists, the doctors, and the data. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I don't know if anybody else has this problem. I've been cleaning nonstop like the rest of the country. And the second that I get done cleaning, my hands hurt from all of the chemicals, I guess, that I'm using on my hands. And then I put on gloves and then they don't hurt. But then I take off the gloves and then they're burning again. So I've got like ice packs literally on my hand as I've been broadcasting today because I scrubbed down the counter with bleach. So I don't know what your tricks are. I guess wear gloves. It's not that hard. Anyway, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And joining us on the line is a uh, reporter who has been covering the U.K. and Washington. Uh, And there's been so many developments out of the U.K. today, particularly as it relates to Boris Johnson. And we had to get that on here because Boris Johnson in intensive care. David Smith, Washington correspondent with The Guardian. David, give us the latest on Boris Johnson, please. Hello. um, My understanding is that he's uh, stable and um on a ventilator as such. Um, uh, He is receiving oxygen. He's said to be conscious and in relatively good spirits, uh, but remains in intensive care. Um, So that's obviously deeply concerning for the British government and the nation as a whole. There's been um, well wishes from uh, the Queen and uh, countless other politicians and uh, world leaders. Um, He's effectively handed over uh, leadership of uh, the government and uh, the fight against the coronavirus to, to Dominic Raab, the, uh, the foreign secretary. Um, and uh, that's the state of play right now. Um, so no, no major deterioration, but at the same time, uh, he's suddenly not out of the woods yet. And um, Is he still performing his duties? No. Um, for now, um, Raab uh, is in charge. Um, Johnson did soldier on for several days. Um, after being diagnosed with the coronavirus. Uh, he was working from an office where his uh, government papers had to be left at the door for him to come and fetch. I put out one or two uh, video messages. Um, but then um, there was a sudden deterioration in his condition, and he was hospitalized, put in intensive care. So uh, he can't really act as prime minister for now. Uh, Dominic Raab is in charge. Um, but, uh, but officially, Johnson is still... Uh, the prime minister i gotta be honest so i'm in i'm in the group chat of our of our work from home i used to see these people daily now we just we just see each other on the the video calls and and nancy Lyons says uh use dilute diluted bleach 
to clean the tables, not straight bleach. And then Christine goes, why are you using straight bleach for your tables? Because I am cleaning everything. David, are you cleaning cleaning everything? What are your cleaning tips? <laughs> um, I'm not a great person to ask. You know, to be honest, uh, right now I'm speaking to you um, from the White House where um, there is yeah. sanitizer available. And when we um, come in, our temperature is taken twice before these daily briefings, the latest one, is about to start. Um, I've got some hand sanitizer in my bag as well. Um, but at, um, otherwise, um, me and my family are, are hunkered down at, at home and um, at really very, very rarely going out. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we're certainly doing some, some cleaning, but um, for the most part, we're in our own little uh, bubble, not, not letting anyone else in. It's like we're all very we're, rarely going out. So. We're, we're all in our, in our own little bubble. And, and in earlier today, I mentioned this with the, the previous guest. Uh, about, I spoke with two senior administration officials about a, a new operation that the government has launched, and maybe the president will talk about it in about 10 minutes' time when he has this daily coronavirus task force briefing, which, of course, you can listen to right here. But uh, what they were saying is that they've actually been flying in uh, PPE, masks, gowns, a host of different equipment for the hospitals. They've already done something like 11 flights from all over the world, and they have 60 more flights planned over the next couple of weeks. And including from Asia, from Malaysia, from China even, uh, as well as some other countries in the region. And they're flying it directly into counties that are in dire need of the equipment. I find this interesting, David, and I'm curious to see if this meshes with your reporting. Because from my reporting, we in the media have said, oh, this state's doing bad or this city's doing bad. The administration is starting to respectfully push back on that and say, it's you've got to go even more granular than that. You can't just look at New York City. You have to look specifically at a hospital, look at all the hospitals in a city and see how their inventory stacks up because some hospitals are fine and other hospitals are not. Um, and and yet there are and they could be in the same city. Are you starting to hear that? Sure. It's it's definitely complicated, isn't it? Uh, this is such a, a vast country and uh each state has its own needs and targets. And then, as you say, within that, uh, so many different counties, so many different hospitals. Uh, I think very understandably, some states have probably um, overestimated initially uh, how much equipment, how many ventilators they'll need. And then uh, as more specific information has come in, that has changed. Um, we've, we've seen, I know, Oregon and one or two other states um, for example, uh, donating their ventilators to, to New York, whose uh, who's need is more urgent. Uh, it's a very tough uh, logistical um, exercise. Um, and I think this whole episode has illustrated some of the strengths and weaknesses of the, of the federal system. Uh, we've heard Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, uh, complaining that he's uh, bidding against other states um, for uh, equipment, and then FEMA comes in and pushes the price up further, and he compared it to eBay. Moments like that really make you yearn for some uh, central planning. Um, and I know, I think. Well, Jared no country, Trump, with all due respect, no country. The Brits were no better. I mean, so. But let me ask you this from your perspective, just quickly, because I know you got to get to the briefing, and we're so appreciative of your time, David Smith of The Guardian. Um, what from from the UK perspective? How do they view China and the United States in this particular moment? Are they are, is there frustration overseas at China? Sure. 
I, I was just going to add, by the way, one of the, the strengths of the federal planning is that you know states have been able to take action when the Trump administration has been slow. But I think the view in Britain, I mean, there was one headline the other day saying that we should sue China for hundreds of billions of dollars, almost in reparations for, for starting this. So there's certainly some accusations flying against uh, China. Wow. The, B- the BBC had quite a damning report um, yesterday about the way America is handling it and the, the shortages in New York and, and how they you know, go against what the Trump administration is claiming. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's, there's great interest in, in, in both of those and some, some puzzlement that America is doing better. But, but for the most part, um, Britain is just dominated by its own um, crisis, uh, whether but- it's attempt to, to ride out the storm and, and that has backfired. It's so interesting to me. Now, is the is the argument of reparations for China, for China to pay, uh, is that coming from uh, the conservative movement or from the more progressive movement, or is it is it is it across the political spectrum in the UK? I think more on the right, and the um, the the newspaper, the the article that was highlighting that was uh, more of a right wing publication. Um, uh, I, I suspect at the moment it's a relatively fringe idea in terms of the hunt for scapegoats, but it, it does point to that um, wider issue that uh, you know China can't necessarily be blamed for being the place where the outbreak began. And we've heard some rather racist rhetoric from Donald Trump about the Chinese virus, but, but at the same time, did they underplay it? Did they fail to warn the world uh, early enough? Um, you know, did did they mishandle this? And um, I think well, clearly they mishandled it. If it got out of Wuhan. Final question for you, because I know you got to get into the briefing room. Um, the Queen, the Queen gave such a moving speech. I had goosebumps when I heard the speech about how she was really just unifying the country. I mean, what I, I, you know, anyone who listens to this program, I, I'm a I, I, I'm a huge fan of the Queen. Um, but tell me about the reception uh, from your readers. Uh, of the Queen's magnificent speech. You, you and Donald Trump, of course, who tweet frequently about the Queen as well and his admiration for her. But yes, <laughs> I think it was um, a unified... <laughs> um, you know, she was uh, paraphrasing um, We'll Meet Again, a song made famous during World War II. And this is where the Queen comes into her own because uh, obviously her career does stretch all the way back. Uh, her first prime minister was Winston Churchill and um, she lived through uh, World War II. So... A, a great way to, to unite the nation. Uh, but but such is the drama of this moment that, of course, it was literally like a, an hour or two later that the news broke. Uh, Boris Johnson had gone into hospital. So in, in some ways, that, that stole a bit of the Queen's uh, thunder. But uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, it's um, you know, it a, a vital role as, uh, as, as head of state to try and calm some nerves. All right. Well, listen, David Smith, thank you so much for your time again. I can't wait till we're all back in uh, the studio and we don't have to social distance and you can join one of our panels. David Smith, he's got to go into the White House. Thank you so much for going to the White House every single day, asking tough questions and uh, doing that and then going home to your family. Our thoughts are with you. And please, please, please stay healthy, my friend. That's David Smith at The Guardian. Uh, Check out all of his reporting if you want a global perspective in particular. Uh, He does excellent, excellent reporting uh, through the lens of UK and has a really good grasp on Washington uh, and the UK. So check him out. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And this half hour, you can catch the daily coronavirus task force briefing by President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence right here. You can listen to that right here. Did you guys see this article that popped in the New York Times just this afternoon? I, I I don't own a printer in my in my home office, uh, aka my never mind. But uh, this I, I wish I could have printed this out and mailed it to many people. China investigates tycoon who criticized Xi's response to coronavirus in the New York Times. This breaking in the New York Times by Javier C. Hernandez, the Chinese communist. Party said on Tuesday that it was investigating an outspoken property tycoon who accused China's top leader, Xi Jinping, of having mishandled the coronavirus outbreak. Reading more from the New York Times, party officials said the man, Ren Ziqiang, was suspected of, quote, serious violations of discipline and law, end quote, a euphemism the authorities often use for corruption and other abuses of power. Mr. Ren, a longtime party member, disappeared last month after having written an explosive essay describing Xi as a power-hungry clown. The essay, which circulated on Chinese social media sites, said that the party's strict limits on freedom of speech and its silencing of the news media had exacerbated the epidemic. Joining us on the line, a good friend of the program, Max Burns. He's a Democratic strategist. Max, I, I've been interviewing Democrats, talking to Democrats on the record, off the record the past several weeks. And I'll tell you, there's something Democrats and Republicans agree on right now. And it's Xi Jinping has a lot of explaining to do. Am I wrong? Oh, absolutely. And I think you're going to see once this starts to abate, not just the United States, but Europe and China's allies in Asia uh, stepping up to actually demand some accountability from China on how this whole debacle happened, because this has affected everyone. You know, I, I, I hear you on that point, and it has affected everyone. And yesterday when we had uh, the partner of McKinsey on, it's impacting low and middle America even more so on an economic front. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at the numbers coming out of places like Wisconsin and New Orleans uh, and how these lower-income, uh, minority, and marginalized Americans are by and large facing the toughest hit from coronavirus because they don't have quality health care, some have no health care at all, uh, they're missing work, and their employers are whether or not the law says so, ending up laying them off or letting them go. Uh, this is going to be something that takes years to fully recover from. 
You know, Max Burns is online. He's a Democratic strategist. You mentioned Wisconsin, a key battleground state in 2020, which we haven't really talked a lot about uh, in the past couple of weeks, just given the the pandemic. But Wisconsin is having an election. <laughs> I mean, why? For, let's let's unpack. When I heard that they were going to have this election, I thought it was. I thought I was reading the Onion. I thought there's no way. There's no way that they're going to do this. How do you do this? The whole the president of the United States, former Vice President Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci, they're all saying, stay home, stay home. Democrats, their messaging the past several weeks has been ignore the president if he says go out, keep staying home. I'm paraphrasing. So the fact that they're having this election, I do not understand it, Max. Why are they having this election? And the question really is why, when there are better means for holding this election, uh, this is obviously a very high-profile election for both sides. There is a state Supreme Court race that's up. Uh, it's conservative incumbent Daniel Kelly running against a liberal challenger, Jill Karofsky. And that winner will essentially have a deciding vote on a decision about whether to strip about 10 percent of Wisconsin's voters off the voter rolls for November. So there's huge stakes here. The challenge is uh, the Democrats and the governor in Wisconsin have said they want to do absentee voting by mail, send everyone a ballot and just have them mail it in. Republicans uh, in the state legislature resisted that, took it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which said the election could go in the middle of coronavirus, uh, we have these Wisconsinites in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic going into crowded polling places to go vote. And we've seen the lines are just terrifying. I, I really am confused by that. I, I don't understand why in the middle of all of this that they're deciding to, to still have this. It, it just seems very dangerous. It seems risky. It seems counterintuitive. It seems almost as nonsensical as those knuckleheads, teenagers, spring breakers on the beaches, not to go to hold an election, not the people who want to vote, but the, but the hold an election. It's just, I don't, I don't get that. I, 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 I really don't get that, but talk to us when you having conversations with Democrats, just give us an update on 2020 and how, how has the Biden campaign been preparing for a general election? What are you hearing about the conventions? I mean, just give us a, a snapshot of, of where we are on that front. Well, it looks like now, even it, we've talked now about delaying the Democratic convention, it's been pushed back. It's looking increasingly like with Joe Biden's blessing, this may be a really stripped down affair that's done largely online, uh, which is going to be a unique challenge for how do you get the message out for the Democratic Party without the benefit of this big tentpole event, 26 million people tuned in last time uh, to see Hillary Clinton and uh, Tim Kaine take on Donald Trump and take the nomination. We might not have that opportunity this time. You will. So there's going to be. Yeah, wait. I, I don't buy this. This. Let, let's. Can we talk? Can we? Can we? Like. Can we have yeah, this out? Sure. All right, Max. <laughs> By the way, Max. Max let's Burns. Do would, it. Oh, Max Burns would always text me after the show, and he would say things like, "Oh, I have to go home. I made all of this food. I baked all this bread. This was pre-pandemic, <laughs> folks." He would literally be baking up a storm, and I'm thinking to myself, "Well, why doesn't he ever bring food to the studio? Like, what is what is this? He's just going to tell us all about the food he bakes." Well, listen up, Max. This whole pandemic, I've been cooking like a king. I've got meatballs. I've got Easter bread that my sister sent me from back home. I got cornbread with jalapenos. 
jalapeno peppers and bacon and then of zucchini bread. You name it, I've cooked it. And I'm sick of I'm cooking. I'm so proud of you. I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. My hands hurt from the bleach. And the, there's, <laughs> I've cooked enough. Uh, anyway, back to this. But I want to I lighten it up a little bit while we await for the president to start his daily coronavirus task force briefing. They're no more going to have a downsized convention. It's not like they're going to like tweet out a statement. They could do this high end. You don't need a lot. When Think of the primetime shows. I mean, they don't have a massive crowd. You're going to have to do without the crowd likely, but they could have the, the, the bells and whistles of, of a major, a major uh, convention affair. Know what I mean? No, you absolutely could. And that's why uh, these digital organizers and the sort of younger campaign specialists in the Democratic Party are suddenly stepping up to the front. They know how to run these operations, how to make a compelling digital presence that looks big and full, even though it's done in someone's basement. Uh, and, And they're really coming into demand from these campaigns that are still trying to get a mass message across when people are really focused on you know, staying healthy. All right. So what's the messaging? How does the, 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 that's the bells and whistles, but in terms of the messaging, how is the, how is the pandemic impacted how Biden's not how he's physically going to campaign, but how he's what the campaign message will be. The Biden campaign has actually come out with some compelling ads that they've released on TV and on the internet uh, showing the progression sort of of Donald Trump denying and minimizing coronavirus up through when the deaths began and saying, I have, I bear no responsibility at all. And those have been very effective, I think, among the focus groups and the target audiences they're looking for. But eventually, as we do start getting back into normal, uh, we're going to have to go back to talking about the economy, about jobs, about health care, which I think now uh, is a lot sharper in most voters' opinions and in their minds than it was maybe six months ago. Well, I mean, we're heading likely for a recession. And I mean, and so even where we are in the summer or as we head into um, uh, in terms of where we head into uh, really, really matters on that front. And just the new uh, the new headline uh, on the on the terminal is the Trump team preps plans to reopen the economy that depend on testing. The White House is developing plans to get the U.S. economy back in action that depend on testing far more Americans for coronavirus than has been possible to date, according to people familiar with the matter. The effort would likely begin in smaller cities and towns and states that haven't yet been heavily hit by the virus. Cities such as New York, Detroit, New Orleans, and other places the president has described as hotspots would remain shuttered. This is a, a team effort on, on the Bloomberg uh, reporting front, because that's really what we had all been talking to people about today. It's this notion that other the parts of the country are going to get to be reopened. I mean, and that's they've been looking in addition to how hotspots in the United States have been doing. They've also been looking at countries that have reopened, including China. And we should note that all of China was not shut down during uh, when they were going through the original spikes of this out of Wuhan. Um, not every city was shut down in China. So I, I think it's going to be difficult just from a from a messaging standpoint, both from the president's perspective, but also from Biden's world's perspective to, to almost you're going to have competing economic ge- geographical messages. It's not even going to be sector based. It's going to be t- t- geographically based, right? 
Yeah, and more than anything, I think this coronavirus has really reshuffled how we think about these voter blocks and voter demographics that some campaign shops have spent tens of millions of dollars trying to target down to the phrase that will move them. And now we've seen something that people uh, certainly underestimated uh, that is completely changing what issues are resonant with voters and also, you know, how how broad voters are willing to think. We have universal basic income being discussed by Mitt Romney, which is something I never thought I would say in my life. Well, I mean, I think that there's there's definitely there's definitely a an understanding that uh, I mean the data, and I'm an, I'm a dork, right? But the data clearly illustrates that low income and middle class Americans are being disproportionately impacted from an economic standpoint as a result of COVID-19. That's not opinion. That's not class warfare. That's the reality. That's the data that if you are a small business owner or you work for a small business or a medium-sized company, I mean, it, it's, it's awful. I mean, there's, there's really no other way to say it. We just got the word from a, a two-minute warning for President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing. And Dr. Fauci uh, has already come out. Uh, so we're going to if I interrupt you, Max, it's because we're going to throw to the president's daily coronavirus task force briefing, which, of course, will carry here on Bloomberg. But it is, I think, you know, a bit perplexing to just hear about how 2020 has been upended. I mean, like when you think just a couple just a month ago, we were all at the debates, we were all covering the debates. And then now, you know, it, it's. No one knows. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.